I hope your New Year's started out right yesterday. My prayer for all of you is that the year ahead will be filled with good health, much love, and a closer walk with Jesus. So how many people have already made a New Year's resolution? Yep, this is the time of year. We make them and we break them, right? Yep, I've already made a couple and I've already broken one of them. That last piece of pie yesterday did me in. You know, very often we make our New Year's resolutions about things like, I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to exercise more, or I'm going to spend less time in front of the TV, or I'm going to spend less time in front of my phone screen or my computer. But it seems like the beginning of the year for a, a family of faith like ours, it's a good time to think about some New Year's resolutions that might have a little bit more to do with helping us grow our spiritual lives, helping us draw closer to God, helping us to be a little bit more like Jesus every day. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to take a look at some questions that John Wesley had small groups back in his day when he was founding Methodism without even knowing that he was founding a denomination. John Wesley preached in the fields. He preached to people who weren't always welcome at the highbrow church of his day. He put people together in small groups called bands and classes, and he recommended that those groups meet regularly and that they hold each other accountable for how they were living their lives. And he prepared 22 questions about the things they should discuss. So I'm here to tell you right off the bat, we're not going to talk about 22 questions. We're going to talk about one a week for a few weeks, some of the ones that are more important. But I also want to give credit for the development and planning of this series to Pastor Bob, who put this together um, long before he knew he was going to be reappointed. He put the idea for the series together, and I'm thankful to do this one last thing that he led during the next few weeks. So our question for this week is, where have I sinned this week? That was the question John Wesley polled. But we changed the question up a little to say it in a more common vernacular, where have I missed the mark? Where have I missed the mark? Now the important word in those two questions is I. Too often when we talk about sinning, we want to talk about how Johnny sinned or how Susie sinned and we want to pass judgment on them for their sins. But the point of this series is to help us grow personally, to help us learn to be self-aware, to be accountable for the things we do and fail to do and to, be learn, to learn to be willing to be accountable to a brother or sister in Christ who will help us with our Christian walk. And we do all this in the hopes of glorifying God, which is part of our, our um, goal, part of our mission here at St. Paul's, to glorify God and grow in our faith. And so growing in our spiritual walk will be aided by these questions, and we will begin with, where have I sinned this week? To study this question, to talk about this idea of sin and confession, we're going to look at Psalm 51. Many of you are familiar with it. It's a psalm that we often read on Ash Wednesday, a time of repentance. 
And it's a psalm that David, it, when you read the words in it, it seems like he cried out to the Lord. It wasn't a quiet little prayer. It's a passionate prayer of confession because he had just been held accountable by the prophet Nathan for having committed the sins of adultery and conspiracy to murder the husband of the woman with whom he committed adultery, Uriah. Some of you are familiar with the story. So I'm going to read the psalm to you today from the New Living Translation in part. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. How many of us have ever prayed a prayer of confession like that? I know I haven't. And you might think to yourself, well, I didn't really need to. I haven't committed adultery or murder. Look in the mirror. There's other things that we do each and every day, and Jesus told us, that we can kill other people with our words, something that is very common sin that many of us fall into. We're going to take a look at this psalm now, a little piece at a time, and analyze the lessons it provides, the first of which is that we are all sinners. David said, I was born a sinner from the moment my mom conceived me. I was born a sinner. And I'm here to tell you folks, I'm right there with him. I was born a sinner too. And I hate to break the bad news, but so are you. We're in this together in so many ways. It's in our nature. It's part of our fall. Part of the fall that took place, we, we have a, a leaning or a bent towards sinning. And those who claim otherwise are really denying the stories, the truth, and the verses that we find in God's word. The Apostle John reminds us of this when he said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the first step in this process, well, we sin. We don't want to necessarily, but we sin. We have to acknowledge that we do. We have to repent and we have to confess. The next thing David teaches us with the words, I, my sins are against you and you alone. 
David is reminding us with these words that when we sin against a brother or sister in Christ or a neighbor or even an enemy, we need to realize that that sin is a sin against God. Jesus reminded us of this in Matthew chapter 25. That's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Do you remember it? It's the parable where it's at the time for judgment and Jesus divides the people into, you know, the group that's like the sheep and the group that's like the goats. And after he praises the sheep for doing things for one another, he says to the goats, when I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And the people in that group said, well, Lord, when were you thirsty and we didn't give you a drink? And he said to them, whenever you failed to do that for a brother or sister, it was just like you did it to me. That was Jesus' reminder to us that sins against one another are sins against God. But then, in his psalm, David reminds us of the good news the good news that came before Jesus came to us, and that is that we're forgiven when we repent with a sincere heart. He said, I will sing praise of your forgiveness. It is something to be joyful about. We're not supposed to mope around about our sins. We're supposed to confess them, own them, and then try to do better. God is not looking for a community of faith that looks like hundreds of little Eeyores, the donkey, who are going, oh no, I sinned. He wants sincere repentance, and then he wants us to learn to forgive ourselves as well. You know, the joy of forgiveness is reflected in the father's reaction in the story of the um, prodigal son. You know the story. I'm not going to read it to you, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. There's a young son, the younger of two brothers, And he asks his father for his inheritance because he wants to leave home, sow his wild oats, party, and have a good time. And after he spends all of his money and his inheritance, he finds himself slopping pigs and starving, realizing the the error of his ways, and he decides to go home, confess and apologize to his father, and ask his father to allow him to be a servant in the household. But the reception wasn't what he expected. His father saw him returning and welcomed him with open arms, overjoyed that the son would come home and confess. And he ends that story by saying, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. When we sin and we confess and we get up and dust ourselves off and we try again, it's like going from being lost to being found. Another thing that David did in his confession, he was specific. He said, forgive me for shedding blood. He named the sin. Too often when we confess, we do what I call the wishy-washy confession prayer. It goes something like this. Well, God, it's the end of another day. I'm just human, so I messed up today, I'm sure. So whatever I did that didn't please you, please forgive me, amen. That's not what we're aiming for here, folks. We're looking for a sin that acknowledges before God that we know what we have done is wrong. 
It doesn't mean you have to spend an hour at the end of the day recounting every little thing. I honked my horn at a little lady who was crossing the street too slow. I was grumpy with the cashier at the grocery store. I gave my honey too many things to do on the honey-do list. Whatever, the idea is to sincerely acknowledge that we have done wrong. And sincerity, a repentant heart matters. It kind of reminds me of my great-grandson Owen once when he was a little guy. I don't know if he was four or five. He obviously had heard his mommy and daddy talking uh, about things. And I said something to him that was very sarcastic. It was funny and sarcastic. And he put his hand on his hips and he goes, Gigi, that wasn't very sincere. I mean, I think he, I don't even know if he was in kindergarten yet. He put me right in my place. Sincerity matters. It matters to God. It shows that we know the difference between right and wrong. And when we confess in that way, our confession becomes part of our witness. When we are willing to own our own wrongdoing and take responsibility for it, we teach other people two things. First of all, that it takes character it takes courage to own our wrongdoing and to honestly confess. But more importantly, what we are signaling to those others who see us confess is that we worship the one great God who forgives. And that's a message that people need to hear and understand as we teach about Jesus. The Apostle Paul was great at doing this. He had a confession in his letter to the church at Rome, but it's one of those um, frustrating passages to read from Romans chapter 7 because he repeats himself a lot and goes back and forth and doesn't use enough commas or periods, and it can be hard to follow. So I'm going to read the message paraphrase of Paul's confession because I think it is very relevant to us today and today kind of talk. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up, and I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Now, folks, if the Apostle Paul, in instructing the church in Rome, can be that honest about his own sins, it shouldn't be beneath our dignity to also be honest about ours. He was bearing witness to what it means to be a Christ follower and to be truly repentant. And we should set the same kind of example for others. You see, God doesn't desire to have us just go through the motion. We can't say, well, I, I sinned, but I go to church every Sunday, so that makes up for it. I sinned, but I didn't sin as much as Herman, so I'm still a pretty good guy, or I'm still a pretty good girl. 
God desires our confession to be sincere and he doesn't want us to go through the motions. That's what uh, David was talking about when he said, you do not want burnt offerings. He was talking about, he, he doesn't want ritual from us. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. That doesn't mean God wants us to walk around like little Eeyores being broken, moping. By a broken spirit, David is referring to the fact that we recognize we are broken. We confess, we accept forgiveness, and then we move on with sincerity. So what do we do with this psalm now that it's 2022? Thousands of years after David first made it his confession. Well, the first thing we could do is take a look back at 2021 individually and say, where have I sinned? Where could I have done better? Where did I miss the mark? And we can ask God to shine a light in our hearts to help us do that. And then we can make a commitment to try to do less of that thing in 2022. It's that simple. The way I try to do this in my life is by using an end-of-day prayer called an examine prayer. Some people call it a prayer of examine. It's a prayer where you end the day by sitting or kneeling quietly. You might um, ask God to illuminate your heart so that you can be honest with yourself, more honest than we sometimes like to be. You offer thanks for the blessings of that day. Even if you have to dig really deep to find a blessing in the day. If you had a meal sometime during the day, you can be thankful for it. And then you confess before God where you missed the mark that day. And ask for the Holy Spirit's help to do better tomorrow. I'll give you an example. This week got a little bit hectic toward the end of the week. Didn't really affect this service, but it affected the earlier service. We had some folks get sick and we had to make some changes in worship, and I was worrying about things because I'm a worrier, and I think I'm supposed to be in control of everything. So Friday night, after a couple days of worrying, I was doing my prayer of examine, and the light bulb went on, and the prayer sounded something like this. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful sunset I just enjoyed. Thank you for the meal I just shared with my neighbor. But God, I really need to tell you, this week I've been a control freak. And what that means is I wasn't trusting you. And I was impatient with some of my coworkers because of it. And that wasn't a good thing because in this time, they need my patience. So God, I know you've got Sunday in the palm of your hand. Forgive me for the way I was behaving and help me do better tomorrow. Amen. And frankly, folks, I slept just fine that night because I knew that God knew that I knew where I had messed up. It doesn't have to be gut-wrenching. You don't have to beat your breast. The idea is just acknowledge before God where you need some help. That's why we pray, to give thanks and to ask for help. So I hope you will make the prayer of examine, a practice that might help you lean into this question this first week of our message series, The Spiritual Life. Where have I missed the mark? You know, we began today with Psalm 51. 
wasn't an accident. I read it to you from the New Living Translation, but it's a really special psalm to me. Um, And yeah, partly because I'm a really big sinner. I get it. You don't have to point that out. But part of the reason I love this psalm is I was listening to someone read it back in 2009 in the fall, and they were reading from the message paraphrase. And I heard words that were my initial indication that God was calling me to ministry. They went something like this. And realize, at this point in time, I had just been elected to be your Pinellas County property appraiser and hadn't been in office for even one year yet. And this is, this is how the psalm went. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. That was the verse. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways. It's 12 years later. I'm sitting here, rebels talking to you right now. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. You're not the rebels that I'm talking about. The point is, we can learn from this psalm. I learned a lot. I was called because of it. 